This is the second part of my musical autobiography. And the way the autobiography is structured is around the music and my memories of what life was like when I used to like these pieces of music that are all significant in my growth and development as a person. What I decided not to do was to arrange everything chronologically and to arrange everything the way it came into my head. I go back now into my childhood and I go back to my school and I went to school in Limerick at a school called the Crescent, which was on the main street up at the top of it. And it was a school run by a Jesuit school where most of the teachers, not all, but most of the teachers were Roman Catholic Jesuit priests. Attached to the school was an amateur dramatic society who perform musicals called the Crescentians and they must have done at least one show a year and perhaps two sometimes they used to perform on the in the hall the school stage and that's where I first went to the King and I where I first went to South Pacific where I first went to Oklahoma uh, they were the types of musicals and they were the only styles of musical that I experienced as a youngster. I, w- I didn't grow up in a family where I was taken to concerts. Somehow or other, the, a lot of the songs, you know, Some Enchanted Evening, Walk On, uh, I Gotta Wash That Man Right Out of My Hair, I'm Getting Married in the Morning... Uh, and a whole load of other ones that I can't remember right now. Um, Bally High um, came into came into my life. Rogers and Hammerstein, Rogers and Hart. Never around that time did West Side Story come along. West Side Story is from a completely different era. So in my youth, pre-teenage and teenage years, the Crescentians were the were the local uh, musical uh, society our musical drama group. I saw South Pacific, as I say, and I liked it. It was all very good and all that. And I remember Bally High, and I remember little bits of the story. And then, what, many years ago, when I was living in Bath, I went to South Pacific in the Royal Theatre in Bath. And it was my first bit of musical theatre that I'd been to. I, an opera guy, I'd been to nothing but opera, so I'll never forget the overture starts to South Pacific and the lights are still on and people are still talking, all of which is anathema to opera lovers who want to hear the overture and want the lights to go down. So it, was a, it took a little bit of getting used to. But that was when I realised I hadn't a clue what South Pacific was about. To me, South Pacific was about... You know, lots of tunes, and all of these musicals were really about tunes. But I didn't have enough life experience to turn them into something else. But when I went to see South Pacific in Bath, I was completely taken aback by the drama, the purpose of the drama, the key message in it. And of all the pieces in it, this one I'm going to play next is probably... I now think of as the perfect, you know, no more perfect piece of lyrics uh, do I know in the English language than this. You've got to be taught to hate and fear. You've got to be taught 
from year to year. It's got to be drummed in your dear little ear. You've got to be carefully taught. You've got to be taught to be afraid of people whose eyes are oddly made and people whose skin is a different shade. You've got to be carefully taught. It was a wonderful discovery to find myself at an anti-racist, anti-prejudice show. And to realize that, oh my goodness, South Pacific, that's what it was about. And it led on to me reading later on a bit about the history of it and the struggles that, that there were involved in it uh, to get it to get it, and to, to put it on. Uh, and it's a fantastic story. And it isn't the only piece of music of that type that I came to love. Yeah, this, um, I must be really a very nostalgic guy. This is stuff that I heard when young, and it isn't that I've gone to an awful lot of musicals, but there are such great, for me, great tunes and even lyrics in in many of the musical stuff. I, I, I play in a minute, I'll play you another. Peace, uh, younger than springtime. And I was looking for, and I haven't dug it out, uh, The King and I, because I think that may have been the very first one I saw. And I've seen the Ulbrinner film. And there must be songs from The King and I. In fact, there is. There's the one, getting to know you, getting to know more about you. I'm sure that's from The King and I. That, again, stuck with me. Of course, I mean, why on earth it should have stuck with me rather than me saying to you, oh, my God, I went to this stuff and I can't abide it. You know, why should that be the case? That now is a question that, that has been thrown up for me by writing or talking my autobiography. It really is a a difficult one to to grapple with, I think.
I'm looking for some music that I listened to the other day, again from Rodgers and Hammerstein, but sung by an operatic singer, uh, Bryn, uh, Bryn Turfel, uh, Welsh. And I'm looking for it because one of the things that I felt while I was big into opera was that I had no time for opera singers that went singing uh, musicals. No interest whatsoever in that. And the ultimate one, well, I shouldn't really say of course, but the ultimate one uh, for is uh, Montserrat Caballé and uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, the man who, that extraordinary man. Okay, I can't right now remember his name but I will in about you know five seconds um, and uh, yeah whoever it is uh, oh yes 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 yeah. Freddie Mercury Freddie Mercury and uh, Montserrat Caballé I did not do, do not like that and in fact uh, <laughs> I suppose if you ask me what do you not like? Tell me some piece of music you don't like. One of them is an opera singer whom I love very, very much. Singing with, singing, you know, amplified. Of course, all opera singers, when they record records, are amplified or, or go through microphones. Let me try, I have to have one of an opera singer singing a piece of musical theatre. This is a base. He's got a good range. Thank you. 
So here we have, you'll never walk alone. Well that's no good, that's no good at all, that's not loud enough. Uh, this whole thing is killing me trying to record this, but I will get there.
I suppose somebody might expect there to be some connection between Rogers and Hammerstein and Gilbert and Sullivan, at least in the life of a person who uh, has found something to enjoy about musical theatre other than West Side Story and Hamilton, which I haven't yet seen. But Gilbert and Sullivan came into my life when I arrived in London in the 70s. And I arrived in London in the 70s um, living near Sadler's Wells Theatre, which was on 73 bus route and on the 38 bus route in the, in the centre of London. The Doily Car Theatre Company used to, for all I know still do, perform there and they were the ultimate uh, performers of of Gilbert and Sullivan. Now I haven't got Doily Cart here which is uh, a bit like annoying me so I'm going to try again to find Doily Cart and this became a great favour of favourite of mine because because of the politics the politics of Gilbert and Sullivan Tremendous stuff, huge satire, social commentary, everything. I'm going to play you some pieces by Dolly Cart. They've also been recorded by very famous singers, but this is what really influenced me. It was my great friend Nina Fishman who had so much influence on my musical life, but she loved Gilbert and Sullivan. And I guess in a way, she, what she did was influence me to listen and to appreciate the politics of the music. Now, when I say politics, I really mean, I suppose, I really mean social commentary rather than, I certainly don't mean parliamentary politics in any, in any form. I'm going to... Part of it is some of them were tremendously funny on stage with, and involved people singing terribly fast. This is different. If you're anxious for to shine in the high aesthetic line as a man of culture, you must get up all the germs of the transcendental terms and plant them everywhere. You must lie upon the daisies and discourse in novel phrases of your complicated state of mind. The meaning doesn't matter if it's only idle chatter of a transcendental kind. And everyone will say, as you walk your mystic way, if this young man expresses himself in terms too deep for me, why, what a very singularly deep young man this deep young man must be.
poor wandering one from the pirates of Penzance. somebody who <laughs> joined the Navy to do a term and polished the handles and did it so well that he became <laughs> that he became the, the, the ruler of the Queen's Navy. Boy, I made such a mark that they gave me the post of a junior clerk. I served the writs with a smile so bland and I copied all the letters in a big round hand. I copied all the letters in a hand so free that now I am the ruler of the Queen's Navy. In serving writs, I made such a name that an articled clerk I soon became. I wore clean collars and a brand new suit for the pass examination at the Institute. Oh, I don't want to stop it. But the reason this appealed to me, it is the lyrics and also the music, but it's the two together. And in particular, in the social commentary, it, it's about how compliant Victorian, well, how compliant England was, how uh, many established social rituals and social conventions and I guess the time I fell in love with Gilbert and Sullivan was the time when I was most interested in satirizing the ruling class and the status quo in English society. I'm going to stop myself from playing you more or dwelling more on Gilbert and Sullivan interesting feature of Gilbert and Sullivan in my life was that they come, some of their work is in the grey area of is this opera or is this music or is this uh, a music and I, I won't play it now but I remember going to see Queen Ida, if I remember rightly, Queen Ida and coming across some it's ready I remember coming across Princess Ida and the music from that.
it's very operatic, isn't it? It really is quite, quite different from just being a musical. Elizabeth Harwood is one of the great opera singers from England, and here she is. Now, relatively speaking, there aren't that many operas in English. I mean, there are plenty, but not that many in comparison with, let's say, well, in comparison with Italian and German. I think Princess Ida is up there with any opera in English because it's continuous. There, there, there is, it isn't just a collection of arias joined together. It isn't a um, collection of recitatives, people talking to each other in, in, I nearly said in prose, but in ordinary language, it's a continuous flow. In other words, it's music drama. And that's why every now and again, Princess Ida gets into the repertoire. Not very often. I saw it and I absolutely loved it. But I'm going to stop in relation to Gilbert and Sullivan. It, 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 was a very uh, rich period of my life in London from 1975 on. I lived in London until 1993. And I think really it was probably the first half of the 1980s. So it was about eight or nine years from 75 to 85, let's say, um, when I immersed myself in a way in Doily Cart, um, well, I immersed myself in Gilbert and Sullivan to the extent that I came to realize that Arthur Sullivan was a very fine classical music composer, and Gilbert is a stunning lyricist. And again, I seem to be coming round to the point of view that it matters an awful lot to me to understand the words. And that's why in preparing myself to go to operas in London over the years, I used to go to, in the first place, Stoke Newington Public Library and take out the, the vinyls, take the vinyls out, uh, borrow them, and uh, play them, but play them with the libretto on my knee, if you like. So I'd be reading the Italian well, not reading the Italian, I'd be looking at the Italian and reading the English 
and getting a sense of, oh, that's what this song is about. It, it, it was never as convenient as it became in the sense that you go to an opera now and the words will be on a surtitles above the stage. But it really did mean that I read the libretto at a pace that suited me. And I got to know the libretto much better while reading the the, the kind of booklet that you'd get inside the box, the operatic box set. I'm wondering myself, as I remember incidents in my life and portions in my life, quite how important lyrics are as a theme to me and understanding lyrics and putting the effort into understanding them. But I think it is because drama and lyrics go hand in hand. We speak, humans speak their drama. It isn't just all body language. There are words, and words make emotions characterful.